Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Hey, good morning. Welcome to uh, the first Sunday of 2019. I am excited uh, for this year with you guys. I hope God just does some really cool things here at FBC and in all of your lives personally. Um, So yeah, I just, uh, I'm excited for what God has in store for us this year. it's uh, today. I'm taking off to Briarcrest for a modular week class down there, and the class is homiletics. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that means, that's like the study of preaching and, and stuff like that. And so I'm going to go spend the week trying to get better at what I do up here. Um, and that was awesome. In the first service, someone cheered when I said that, so I'm uh, thank you. You, I, you guys are my favorites over those guys so far. Um, it's kind of interesting, like going into a, a class like that right after you spend the Sunday preaching, because I feel like the whole week is just going to be a beat up of like, oh, here's what you did wrong, and here's what was wrong with your sermon on Sunday. So uh, hopefully, I come out of that in one piece. Um, we've got some really cool stuff coming up. I'm really excited for uh, something we're kicking off in February. I'm not going to talk about that yet, but uh, pretty pumped for where we're going to be going there. Um, over the next three weeks, we've got uh, a series I think uh, is going to be really awesome and hopefully helpful to all of you. Um, it's actually a series that we got from an organization in the States called The Rocket Company. Um, basically, they're like a ch- church resourcing uh, organization. And so uh, kind of the three weeks, what we're going to be following and some of the ideas from there are, are from there. Um, and uh, hopefully it's just really helpful uh, for us over the next uh, few weeks. Um, one thing I'll say about this series is it's not very, like, episodal. So, like, sometimes, uh, you know, with sequels and stuff, you don't need to see, like, the first movie or the second. Like, you can just watch one and it's good. And I think a lot of sermons here like that, some series you could come for a week and, you know, that just makes sense on its own. Um, this one, uh, we're really going to be trying to build something cohesive over these three weeks. And this morning, I'm actually not even really getting into kind of the bulk of where we're going. I'm just kind of laying some groundwork, some foundation. Doug's going to be carrying on next week. So I'd really encourage you for this series to try to take in all three weeks. I think it'll make a lot more sense. I remember uh, when Hunger Games came out, I watched the second movie first. And man, like, <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. I don't think this will be quite that confusing. Uh, but uh, I do think that all three weeks of this will make it make a lot more sense uh, together. Uh, we live in a very trendy world. Uh, we chase a lot of trends and things come and go all the time. Um, it's true for fashion. I don't I clearly don't know much about fashion, but I do know that people often look back to pictures from 10, 20, 30 years ago and they're like, man, that's what I thought was cool to wear. Or, you know, haircuts. They're like, that's what I thought was cool. I imagine one day I'll look back and be like, man, I thought that made sense. Um, you know, and things come and go a lot, especially with technology. I mean, there are trends that come and go like crazy and stuff comes in and it's such a big deal. And, and then in no time, it's a thing of the past. 
Um, this, uh, some of you might recognize uh, this kind of thing. This is my old BlackBerry curve. It's my pink BlackBerry curve. Um, when I got this thing, this thing was the phone. Like this thing was, like people would say, like, oh, you got the curve, like that's so awesome, you know? Um, I had two of them, I had the one with the trackball, and then this is the better one with the trackpad that came out later. Um, and yeah, I remember when I had this thing, it was like, it was a big deal. I don't actually know why we still have this. Um, I imagine like a lot of you guys out there, we have that random box or two of stuff in the basement where for some reason we keep old garbage like this, and it's like, I don't know, maybe some the technology apocalypse happens and we start using BlackBerry curves again, or I, I don't know why we do that, old cables and stuff like that. So, so I don't even know why we had this. I'm probably gonna take it home and put it back in that box for some reason. This thing is worth nothing. This thing, uh, you know, it, it's, it's useless. I couldn't sell this for like a cent now. Uh, even the phone I have now, I have an iPhone 8, I got it for like free Black Friday last year, um, but it, it's worth something. I could go on Kijiji and sell it for something, but in a few years, I mean, that thing's going to be, be worthless. And one thing I will say really quickly, if there are any BlackBerry owners out there back in the day, this is only like six, seven, eight years ago, um, you probably played, well, hopefully you played Brick Breaker, because it was like one of the greatest parts of owning a BlackBerry. And uh, I scored in like top 2,000 in the world, global, for my Brick Breaker. I had a lot of spare time in a tour bus, so um, it, even that, I mean, who cares anymore? I mean, it was a big deal then, you know, like I got, you know, VIP access to a lot of places because I was top 2,000. But um, Stuff comes and goes like crazy, especially with technology. Actually, I'm going to show you guys a sound clip in a second, just for you to listen to, because for some of you guys, this is going to be like a chorus of your past, of sweet, blissful memory, um, where some of you, I'm going to guess the first few rows here, a lot of you will probably be like, I have no idea what that is. And I say that because about a month or so ago in staff meeting, I showed it to Jacob and Megan. Uh, they're like early 20s, and they were like, we have no idea what that is. So uh, some of you will get this, and some of you will really be able to relate to this. And so why don't you go ahead and play that sound clip for us. Wait for it. There we go. Success. Very beautiful, sweet melody, right? Front few rows are like, what? on earth is that? Is that like the music you guys used to listen to? So for those of you who don't know, when we, years ago, not even that long ago, I'm not that old, but um, when we wanted to use the internet, we had to like connect to it. So uh, there's also this other thing called like landlines or like telephone lines running into your houses and the internet, your computer was plugged into one of those and so uh, you would have to like use the phone line so no one else could use the phone, which is a problem because we didn't all have our own phones. And uh, you'd, use, you'd be using the phone line to go on the internet. And that's the, the, what this, like you weren't just always on the internet. There wasn't just like perpetual internet. You were, you'd have to, you guys remember this. You have like, we, you'd like yell, everyone, I'm going on internet. Like, you know, because we just got some free AOL minutes on a CD or whatever. And you're like, no one pick up the phone. Uh, if you get disconnected, you're like, who picked up the phone? Who ruined my internet connection? You know, if you want to like download a file, you're like 9 p.m., you're like, all right, I'm sending the internet for the night. No one used the phone. Um, and uh, you know, you'd call, you'd call your house and no one would answer. You're like, someone's on the internet. So you like keep calling. You're like, I'm gonna disconnect that, stuff like that. I remember we had, when we first got internet, uh, we got some AOL minutes and we had our, our 
computer, what was called a 28.8 modem, uh, could download up to 28.8 kilobytes per second, which was pretty amazing, because that meant at top speed, which really only happened at like three in the morning when no one else in the world was using the internet, but at top speed, you could download a megabyte in like just under a minute. Like it was amazing, you know, it was like lightning fast. And they came out with 56K modems twice as fast. I remember they came out with the 112 kilobyte modem, but the trick was, it was actually just two 56K modems put together. I don't know if any of you remember this. It's two, and so what, they would, what, what you had to do is buy a second phone line for your house, and then the internet used both phone lines at the same time, and then you could have, that meant you could download a megabyte in like 10 seconds. Uh, at, at the fastest. So to put that into perspective for people who are like, oh, what's happening? That means like back in the day, if we had Netflix, if we wanted to watch an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine on my modem at my house, it would take like somewhere between like five to eight hours to watch one episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, and so th that's, a, that's a long time for a 22 minute show. Um, it's kind of crazy. That wasn't that long ago. Uh, at Christmas, we were going to visit my parents. My mom texted my wife and he said, do you guys have any like newer Christmas CDs? I only have old ones. And I was like, CDs. I text her back. I'm like, like we have our phones. Like that has music. Like a CD. Like, you know. I, and it's kind of crazy because a lot of that wasn't that long ago, and it comes and goes. You know, like this stuff is is meaningless, worthless junk now. And it's not bad that our world has trends and that we keep up with some of the latest stuff. And the series isn't about condemning that, but I want to share with you guys, this is going to be the bottom line for all three weeks. And this is kind of going to be where we're going to camp on all three weeks. And our bottom line is this, in a trendy world, the best things in life are timeless. In a trendy world, the best things in life are timeless. Again, not saying that the trends are bad or whatever. I mean, some of them probably are. Like, I've seen pictures of what my parents used to wear, like parachute pants and stuff like that. That's a bad trend, probably. But uh, in a trendy world, the best things in life are timeless. We believe that there are ways that you can live your life that will never go out of style. Things that you can put into practice and put into play in your lifestyle that, that will never go to style that are timeless. Because the question is, do you want your life to be like this Blackberry? that just goes out of style and one day doesn't, isn't that significant? Or do you want your life now to be something that never goes out of style and is timeless? Uh, what I'm gonna be talking about this morning probably seems like a really distant topic when people bring it up and when people talk about it or think about it. And as I talk about it, you might feel like that. You might think, well, what does this have to do with now? In fact, my main hope this morning, my main goal is that as we unpack this message this morning that your main focus and understanding of it would relate to the next seven days of your life. Between now and when you're here next Sunday, hopefully, and Doug gets on stage to talk, that what we're talking about this morning will mainly relate to and impact the next seven days of your life. Because where I want to start this morning is I want to start by talking about eternity. Eternity is arguably a pretty timeless thing. And when we talk about eternity, I think for a lot of us that's hard to relate to, and we think, well, one day that exists, but now is now. But I believe that the better understanding we have of eternity, the better understanding we have of the importance and the kind of essential decisions that we're making in our lives now. And one of the questions I kind of want to answer this morning is, what is heaven like? Um, there are some recent statistics, and it's I'm going to use some American statistics this morning. Um, because it's harder to find as many Canadian statistics, but it's pretty similar to us, I'd guess. But 81% of Americans believe in heaven. 81% of Americans believe that at one point there's this thing called heaven, and people either go there or might go there or whatever, but 
81% of Americans, that's the vast majority. Those same 81% readily admit that they have no idea what that means and no idea what that looks like, that it's this foggy, unclear, I have no idea what the heck that means type of picture. They believe in it, but there's a massive lack of clarity. And you might be in that boat, and that's okay. I'm not condemning that this morning, and I'm glad you're here because what I'm going to do is take a little bit of a look at what we can understand. I'm not going to answer every question about that, but what we can understand about that and how a better understanding of that uh, can shape our lives and impact our lives over the next seven days of our lives. One of the issues with having a lack of clarity about what heaven is like and what heaven means and what it looks like and stuff like that is that it trivializes heaven. When we have no idea what it is or what it looks like or we have different ideas, we buy into a lot of myths and misconceptions. When that happens, heaven becomes trivialized. And the problem with that is that when heaven becomes trivialized, our lives can be marginalized. When heaven is trivialized, our lives can be marginalized. I really believe that your life over the next seven days is more marginalized if your understanding of heaven is trivialized. And we'll unpack what that means a little bit. But I'm guessing that no one here wants to live a life where it's like, oh, my actions, what I'm doing, and all of that is marginal and doesn't really matter. I think a lot of this trivialization of heaven, like I said, comes from myths and misconceptions that we have about heaven. A lot of us have this strange picture that we've picked up somewhere, maybe from what people have said, a book we've read, uh, TV or movies or old Belinda Carlisle songs or, or something like that. Um, true story, I did not know who that was until uh, someone a little older than me came and mentioned that this morning, but some of you would know that her song. But, uh, you know, we get these skewed pictures of what heaven is all about. And what we start to imagine is different myths like heaven is some place way off there that's just full of clouds. It's like Cloudland, Cloudville, and we're walking around, clouds everywhere, we're waist deep in clouds. I don't know why our picture of heaven often has people waist deep in clouds. I don't know if it's because people think people don't wear pants in heaven or whatever, but uh, you know, it's like you're walking around in clouds and it's full of that. Maybe your picture, the myth that you bought into is that you, you, you think, oh, we're just going to sit in one room together forever, maybe holding hands, singing Kumbaya, and that's going to be our eternity. Kind of like an eternal like, Barney episode happening in our lives. I don't know if I mentioned, but there might be clouds there. Um, I don't understand what this picture of clouds has to do with heaven, because if heaven's supposed to be good, clouds usually to me are bad. It means like the sun's blocked or there's snow or rain coming. I don't know why we associate a negative weather condition with with, with something that's supposed to be eternally good. Maybe you've pictured it as a place where we're just going to be singing hymns together forever. And I'll tell you, if that's, if that's what heaven looks like, that sounds super boring. Like, that sounds really brutal. And, and that's not really, like, something that gets me excited about eternity. And I'd imagine for a lot of you, that one doesn't get you excited either. So, of course, our view of heaven becomes trivialized, because we picture it as some big kumbaya session floating in the clouds, uh, singing hymns together relentlessly. And I think that gives us a really poor picture of what heaven's all about. And I don't think Hollywood helps us either. I think Hollywood would make us think of heaven as maybe like a large nondescript warehouse where you're mopping floors forever with Morgan Freeman. Or, you know, maybe people outside of the church who don't even believe in Jesus. They get these weird conceptions about heaven and hell, and they're like, well, you know, heaven might be good, but at least like I can go hang out with my friends in hell or something, or maybe it'll be like one giant barbecue forever. And we get these weird statements and weird pictures and understanding of what that's all about. And maybe you can say, well, that boring picture 
It sounds better than the alternative. It sounds better than a hell. But it doesn't really sound much better than this life now. And they often say that everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Well, that makes sense if that's your view of heaven. You know, you might say, I want to go to heaven one day, but God, first, you know, let me go on my honeymoon, or first, let me buy my first car, or let me finish this or do this, because our picture of our lives now is so much grander and so much better than this cloud-filled, kind of esoteric, dreamlike trance that we might be in, in the type of Hollywood or painted picture heaven that we've often imagined. And, and I'll say really uh, kind of candidly, I believe that one of the problems with that misconception is that the church hasn't done a good job of painting a more biblically and theologically accurate picture of what eternity is like. And we've let Hollywood just kind of say, yeah, you go float off somewhere in the clouds. And what I want to do this morning is challenge a little bit of those myths, offer a small picture of what we're actually looking towards. And my hope is that as we do that, that it will challenge you that when you think about the things coming up this week, when you think about that business deal this week, when you think about your time at work, your time with your family, your time at school, that as important as you thought that was before, that it will be more important because you have a better understanding of what eternity actually looks like. That having a clearer picture of what heaven is like will make it so that that business deal, those interactions, your life this week is more important than you could have ever imagined before. So that your life isn't marginalized because of a trivialized view of heaven. So in a second, we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack two misconceptions about uh, heaven and going to challenge those and kind of look at what scripture has to say. But before we do that, I want to just offer two disclaimers. The first disclaimer might be hard to believe, but I've actually never personally been to heaven. Okay, If you can imagine that, I've never been there. And a lot of you thought I probably just came from there, but uh, I, uh, I've never been. And if uh, we don't really use travel agents anymore, but if you were going to go on a trip and use a travel agent, like I mean beyond like Expedia or Trivago, or whatever, uh, if you were going to use a travel agent and there were two travel agents and one's like, uh, you know, I've never traveled anywhere. I've never been outside of Lloydminster in my life. And the other travel agent is like, you know, I've, I've seen the whole world. I've traveled everywhere. Uh, you'd probably go with the second one. You'd probably be like, this guy's a little bit more credible. And so my hope this morning is that I'm not going to pour any of my own understanding into this, but we're just going to simply look at some of Scripture and just look at the really obvious available meaning of the picture it paints of eternity. The second uh, disclaimer I want to throw out really quickly is this. I struggle even a little bit to use the word heaven because I think to a lot of us it means a lot of different things. But this is what I'm talking about when I talk about heaven. Uh, I'm talking about heaven, eternity, after Jesus returns. The Bible says that one day Jesus is going to return. It's going to be the end of all things. And we're going to look at what that looks like a little bit. And that's what I'm talking about, that eternity. I'm not talking like if you go out and you die today. I hope you don't. Please don't. But if you do that, I'm not talking about what happens in that moment. That's another Sunday, another sermon, or we can talk about it out in the hallway or whatever. Uh, that's interesting. But what I'm talking about is kind of the final eternity of all things. Uh, the end of all things, and, and the eternity after Jesus returns. So we're going to start out here. We're going to start out in Isaiah. Isaiah is this massive book in the middle of your Bibles, um, and uh, there's a lot going on. It's 66 chapters long, uh, all this prophecy about these different things. Usually in prophetic oracles, um, what happens is uh, the prophet is saying, hey, you know, you guys shouldn't be doing this. There's some judgment. They're talking about what's going wrong. But usually at some point, there's this picture of hope. And a lot of times, 
It's eschatological, and what that means is it points forward to the final hope of humanity through what Jesus will do when he returns. And it's going to happen here, and the first misconception that we're going to challenge is that followers of Jesus Christ spend eternity in heaven. Followers of Jesus Christ spend eternity in heaven. You're like, wait, that's a misconception, and let me just stick with me for a second. I'm going to unpack a little bit about what I mean by saying that's a misconception, because that statement is like kind of technically true, and it's kind of technically untrue. And let's read Isaiah 65, 17 a little bit, and that'll help you understand where I'm headed with this. God's speaking, he says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. This is God speaking. He's saying one day, he's talking about the final destiny of all mankind. One day, he's saying, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. And in fact, this statement is, uh, this idea is repeated again a chapter later in Isaiah 66, 22. He says, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your name, so will your name and your descendants and descendants endure. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. So check this out. God is saying that one day when he returns, he's going to create new heavens. Interesting, because usually we talk about heaven as singular, so we'll address that in a second. And a new earth. When God speaks about eternity, when Scripture speaks about eternity, it doesn't mention some cloud castle out in the middle of nowhere. It's not some far-off, distant thing, some place that we could maybe even discover that's going to happen. What, what Scripture teaches pretty clearly and in quite a few places is that one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to recreate earth and the heavens. When the Old Testament talks about the heavens, uh, what it's actually meaning is it's talking about the cosmos, the universe, the galaxies, the planets, the ones we've explored, the ones we've discovered, the ones we haven't, this massive expanse that we live inside. And God is saying, one day I'm going to return and create a brand new universe that's going to center around Earth still, just like what we're looking at here. And this theme, like I said, is, is all throughout Scripture. In fact, generations later in 2 Peter 3.13, uh, this is what the author says. He says, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So let's slow down for a second there. God is saying, you can find, I can help you find more passages in scripture, say this a little bit more. One day he's going to return and he's going to create a new heavens, create new heavens and create a new earth. So here's what I would say. This, if you want to understand, if you want to get a bit of a better picture of what heaven is like and what it looks like and what it might be like, don't walk outside and look up to the sky and look at the clouds. Like, well, one day we're going to be floating somewhere, strumming harps and like eating cream cheese with the angels and, and, and singing hymns forever. Look around. Look at the trees. Look at animals. Look at creation. Look at other people. Look at the relationships you've experienced. Think about the things that you have loved and felt joy and satisfaction and fulfillment from out of God's good creation and understand that those are a far better glimpse. I'm not saying a perfect picture, but a far better glimpse of what eternity, what heaven is like than some floaty off throne up in the sky somewhere. I'm actually pretty passionate about this because I just think it's, 
it's such a message of hope in Scripture that one day Jesus is going to return and do this, and we overlook it, and we trade it in for something that's kind of cheap and too easy, that one day we're just going to get out of here and float away somewhere. And that's just not a good picture of what Scripture talks about. And you might say, well, isn't the semantics, Ryan? Like, couldn't we just say, you know, uh, couldn't we just call it heaven and just understand it correctly? And, and I, I think you could, but I do think language actually kind of matters. In fact, I want to show you this quote by Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven. Randy Alcorn says, we can say heaven will be our eternal home or earth will be our eternal home, but we shouldn't say heaven, not earth, will be our eternal home because the heaven in which we will live will be centered on the new earth. I think a lot of times you can say, well, it's just language, it's just semantics, but I think a lot of times if we keep saying something that even partially shares in an unclear picture of reality, the more we talk about it, the more we say it, our language can carry misconceptions that can become our theology. And maybe like, well, I'm not a theologian. I think we're all theologians. We come up with ideas about heaven and we have pictures. When I said that word for the first time this morning, you pictured and you thought of something. And what I want to do is challenge us as a church to have a better, more scriptural understanding of that. And sometimes maybe that means that we should be changing our language to say new earth. If that helps you focus on what is actually the eternal hope of Christians, maybe that's what you need to do. If you can call it heaven, you call it whatever you want. But I think we need to understand where our eternal hope actually exists. Uh, in Greek, there are two words largely used in the New Testament to, for the word new. There's neos and kainos. Neos just means new. Like, you know, you went out and bought a new vehicle or, um, you know, uh, you bought something new. You got, you know, you painted something that's a new picture. You've done something new. It's just brand new. Um, kainos is a different word. And what it means is it means to restore the old. It means to take something, whether it's uh, kind of just slightly used or it's tattered or it's broken or it's messed up or whatever, and totally restore it into something brand new. And when Scripture talks in the New Testament about the new heavens and the new earth, it's talking about kainos earth. It's not saying that one day Jesus is going to show up and blow all this up, get rid of it, and just do something brand new. He's going to return and he's going to restore this. So I don't know, maybe on this kainos earth, this new earth, Maybe there will be a new Lloyd Minster. Maybe there'll be a Kynos Lloyd Minster. Some of you shaking your heads like, please no. Um, <laughs> but let me, let, let me tell you something. I think, because it's not going to be an exact replica. I mean, things are going to be better. The Bible says there's no weeping, no sorrow. So that means I'm guessing that there will be bridges over the train downtown, you know, because that's a huge source of sorrow in town. And that rapeseed plant, it's going to be far away from town, so we don't have to smell it. Uh, you know, not in the middle of a residential zone. Jesus is not in the act of saying, he's not in the business of saying, oh, I made this amazing creation and I'm done with it. He's in the act of restoring it. And that includes you, your family members, and this very earth that we live on. And I think it's actually a really big deal to understand that because it expands. Learning this has expanded my hope that I place in reality and my understanding of how that impacts my life now so much. One of the reasons I think this is a really big deal is because the way I understand kind of the overarching narrative of the Bible into our lives now, spanning all time, is that over time, God has three big acts. There's a lot that happens in between there, but three major acts. One is that he creates all things. He begins time, he begins everything, and he creates the heavens, he creates the earth, he creates it all. His first big act is to create it all. The second big act is seeing us in our sinfulness and coming to earth and saying, I'm going to save these guys. I'm going to fight their battle for them, and I'm going to set them free from sin. Celebrated that at Christmas and at communion today that Jesus came and was born, and then he died for our sins. That's the second big act. 
This third big act hasn't happened yet. And we talk about those other two a lot. And scripture talks about this third act tons. I mean, you, it, I challenge you to try to find, get through much of a letter of Paul without him talking about our eternal hope of Jesus' return. This doesn't mean we need to be crazy and have like tinfoil hats and be like, oh, Jesus is coming. But what this means is that we should understand that our hope is so much more than the day-to-day relationship with Jesus, but that he's one day going to come and restore everything. That when you look around at this earth and its beauty and the glory and splendor of how God created it, that Jesus is going to come and he's going to make that kainos. He's going to make that new and he's going to restore that. And that's a big deal. It's not like when God created, if you read the start of Genesis, God created Eden and he created Adam and Eve. You never heard Adam and Eve be like, oh man, can't wait till we get out of this place and go to heaven. No, they would never say that because they were in heaven here on earth. I'm not saying that, you know, eternity, heaven is going to look exactly like Eden. I don't know what level of technology we'll have or what things will be like or what era we'll be in. But it's a better understanding to go outside and look around and understand what God's created and that he's going to redeem that. He's going to restore that and make that new. I could talk about that for a long time. But you might be wondering at this point, well, how does this change my life this week? And that's a good question. I want to move on to misconception number two. Misconception number two about heaven says, what you do in this life determines whether or not you go to heaven. But once you're there, it's the same for everybody. This, this, would, be, this would be, in my mind, really nice theology uh, if I didn't think that the Bible challenged it uh, a, a bit. It'd be nice to think that, well, we can just choose Jesus and we get there and it's the same for everybody. Um, but Scripture actually presents a fair amount that I think would uh, kind of d- disagree with that. And um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing, and he's talking, to, uh, he's talking to Christians, people who are followers of Jesus, who have put their faith in Jesus. He's not talking to people outside of the church. Inside, he's talking to people inside the church who are going to spend eternity in heaven. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I'll read that one more time. We must all appear, all of us as followers of Jesus, must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I think a misconception we can often have is that one day, Jesus is going to sit there and judge, and his judgment's going to look like this. Yes, no, yes, no. You know, maybe button opens the hole in the floor, whatever. But, you know, it's just a pass or fail type situation. But it's just not really what Scripture teaches. You can read about this idea of Jesus rewarding his followers for what they've done, again, in Ephesians 6, 8, Matthew 16, uh, Matthew 16, 27. And also, again, um, I'm going to read you one more passage right from the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, 12. This is what Jesus says. Let's talk about the return of Jesus one day. It says, Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they've done. This is, an, this is unsettling theology, because it starts to feel like God is maybe taking notes on our lives. He looks at you as a follower of Jesus, and he's taking notes. When the Bible talks about judgment, I really believe that Scripture paints more of a picture that everybody will stand in judgment before Jesus. Jesus is full of justice and grace and compassion, and he'll judge us. And it's not just a pass or fail type thing, but he will offer us reward for what we've done. And hear me out. This is not a gospel of works. This doesn't mean, oh, if you're really good, you know, heaven's going to be. This is a gospel of grace. 
And the grace is, is that Jesus offers us forgiveness freely, and we can accept it, and we can spend eternity with him. But because of his grace, despite our sinfulness, we're able to live lives that please him. We're able to live our lives in a way that are timeless, that invest into eternity. So that business deal this week that you have coming up, if you conduct that in a way that honors Jesus with integrity and honor and grace and compassion, one day you'll stand face to face with Jesus and he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That when you're at work dealing with customers or, or coworkers, if you do that in a way that reflects Jesus' love or maybe you have opportunities to even share the hope that you have found in Jesus, one day you'll stand in front of Jesus and he'll say, well done. At school this week, if you be bold in your faith, if you'll live the way Jesus would want you to in school, that one day he'll stand before him and he'll say, well done. I think we've so often bought into this lie that how we live now doesn't really impact our eternity that much, that we just can take days off from our faith journey and stuff like that. And I'm not trying to scare you or freak any of you out, but I really don't think in our relationship with Jesus there are holidays and days off. Because even during your earthly holidays, Jesus is saying, honor me with what I've given you. He's given us so much and so many opportunities to honor him and please him and live in ways that never go out of style and live in ways that are, not or that ways that are completely timeless. If you read the parable of the talents, I mean, this gives us a really good picture of this, that he's given us so much, and one day he's going to ask us how we did with that. He's going to take a look at how we did with that. And I want to say this. This is kind of where I'll end off. In light of this truth, every day matters. So over the next seven days, understand that those decisions, those experiences, those relationships, everything is actually maybe more significant and important than you originally thought because of this truth about eternity. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never heard any of this or you're like, well, this is really messing with like what I learned like on, out of VeggieTales theology or something like that. Love to discuss this with you further. Not, not so you can have the perfect picture of what heaven looks like because I don't think any of us will have that, but so you can have a better understanding of the impact that your life now has on eternity and not just for yourself, but for those around you. As we live our lives here on this earth, understand that we're interacting with the very creation that Jesus will come and restore. I want to challenge you guys with something really quickly before you leave, kind of your homework this week. I want to challenge you this week is small to make one decision, just one decision sometime this week. Spend a few minutes thinking about make one decision that reflects this truth about eternity. And I don't know what it is for you. It could be work-related, family-related, how you spend your free time. Make one decision that reflects this truth that every day matters and that you're investing into a future where you'll stand in front of Jesus and he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant, or not. And then you'll step into this new heavens, new earth, and you'll dwell like this forever, but in perfection. I'm really excited to hear where Doug's taking us next week. Uh, so I hope you guys can make that out. But let me pray for you really quickly. God, thank you so much that you love us despite our sinfulness and despite our shortcomings and despite even our bad theology sometimes, God. I'm so thankful that you love us and you extend grace. I pray that we would be a church that would change our community by living in the reality that every day matters and that we can invest into eternity every single day. God, please be with us as we live this week and as we make decisions that impact 
our eternities and help us live timeless lives. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Have an awesome week.